0: Jesus, you are all to us. You're our everything. You're all I need and all I want. You're everything. Wow. Take your uh, Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 as we get back into this epistle of Paul, this letter of the Apostle Paul tonight, and talk a little bit about what it means to be made alive in Christ talk about a little bit of what it means to, to see how God is forming a new people for himself because that's really what especially the first 10 verses of chapter 2 are all about. It's about God forming a new people. If you remember back in chapter 1, we, we saw Paul praying. We saw him expressing joy over what was happening in the Ephesians' lives and the lives of the Ephesian Christians. And, and then we, we, we saw him close that out by talking about in, in verse 20 of chapter 1, he said, which he brought, that is which God brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, he uh, go back to verse 18. Let me read starting there and go through 20 because you want to get this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, above far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Then he goes on to say he put everything under subjection to his feet. Now, I want you to see here something that's very important. Uh, Todd and Scott dealt with this last part of chapter 1, and they did it very well. I listened to the, While I was out of town, I listened to their messages, and they handled it very well. But I want you to see a tie here as we go into chapter 2, between the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2. I want you to see that when Paul talks about uh, uh, this, uh, this showing of his strength, of his might, Showing his great power, God's showing his power by raising Christ from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I want you to see that it's that power that Paul is talking about in chapter 2 when he talks about God beginning to form a church, to form a people, to, to bring a people out of the world and out of the darkness into light. That it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and the same power that seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, the Father's hand in the heavenly places. It's that same power that is at work in the lives of every person who believes. It's important to realize that. Uh, I quoted this morning uh, Paul's statement to the Philippian Christians when he said, "...that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death." When Paul says that I may know Christ and that I may know the power of his resurrection, he's talking about the power that has changed his life and continues to give him strength and passion and power for living out the Christian life. What we have as Christians and what we are as Christians and what we will do as Christians is not determined by our strength or our power. Thank God. It's determined by his power being exhibited toward us and in us, and through us. It's important that we realize that. It's important we understand that. It's important that that's where we place the emphasis and place the, uh, the, the discussion when we're talking about even becoming a Christian. And Paul wants us to see that in chapter 2. And I'm going to read chapter 2 verses uh, 1 through 10, and we will probably do a summary of that, a survey of that tonight, and then we'll come back and look at some specific parts of it a little more in depth in the in the day, days and weeks to come. Uh, this past weekend, I had the, the joy yesterday all day to be uh, with a group of men at the Harlan Baptist Church. Adam went with me over there, and we, uh, we spent the day with a group of about 35 men from Harlan Baptist Church. Uh, the night before we, we got there, we spent the night at the Holiday Inn Express, so that made me ready to be an authoritative teacher, I'm sure, if the commercials are true. But uh, I, I, we stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, and Uh, Adam wanted to help me all that he could he called up on YouTube uh, Brad Paisley's song you'll never leave Harlan alive Um, well I'm happy to tell you that both Adam and I left Harlan alive yesterday afternoon and uh, made it back we had a great time and we were talking to the to the men at Harlan about living in light of no condemnation what it means to live in light of no condemnation I've talked I've dealt with some of that uh, especially on wednesday night some with, with and so you heard me do it coming out of romans eight chapter uh, chapter eight verse one there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus a great statement a great truth uh, that we need to learn to live in and as i move through that talking about living in light of no condemnation and what god has done to save us and give us security and give us strength i, I went to Ch- ephesians chapter two And and basically shared with them a lot of what I want to talk about tonight. Because I think this is foundational to understand how you live the Christian life. How you walk in the Christian life on a daily basis. I think it's foundational to understand who you are in Christ. And who we are as a body of believers in Christ. So hear the word of the Lord as Paul writes it to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 2 verses 1-10. through it's a very powerful powerful passage and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and uh, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship." created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Boy, the Apostle Paul, in writing to to the Ephesian church, in these 10 verses, give us just the most emphatic, clear understanding of three things. One, our condition before salvation what was in our life what our life was like before that our position in christ our position in our salvation and in the purpose of our life after salvation paul says i want you to know what your condition was before you came to christ i want you to know what your your position is now in christ in salvation and i want you to understand what the purpose of your life is now that you are in christ because paul said in romans eight twenty eight, we all know that verse uh, you know for god works all things together For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And and Paul is showing us here what that purpose is that we are called to when we we know the love of God in our life and we love God. We love him because he first loved us. And when we express that love, when we know that call to his purpose, what is that purpose that we are to to be focused on and zeroed in on? And what are we to be about? Now, we kind of talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? In talking about just to know him. That our first passion, our first desire, our first hope in the Christian life is to know Christ and to know Him better. Not to know what we can get from Him. Not to say, I'm going to follow Jesus because maybe He'll make my life easier. But but what is is the purpose, the, the, the ultimate primary reason for coming to Christ is to know Him and to know God through Him. If you haven't read the book knowing god by j.i Packer, it's in our book lookout here i'm uh, unless it's sold out it is we'll re-pl- replenish it you ought to read it because that is a concept that is at the very center of the christian message and a concept that is the very center of the christian life as a matter of fact uh, jesus himself said when he was praying for his disciples there in the garden and ultimately said i, I don't pray just for them but i pray for those who will believe based on their testimony, which is us? He prayed for us 2,000 years ago in the garden. And he said, there, as he began that prayer, he said, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true and living God. Huh. If you went out on the streets of Somerset tomorrow morning or this evening, and just ran into some people maybe people coming out of church somewhere or 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 just people on the street doing whatever they do and you would go up to them and say what is eternal life you'd get all sorts of answers to that you would if we took a survey probably in most churches i would even say in grace we would get a multitude of answers i'd hope they'd be a little more focused than the average but but we might be surprised someone said oh eternal life that's living in heaven That's living with all my needs met and no no pain and no sickness and no suffering. Why, eternal life is just living in heaven forever. To 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 a lot of people, that's it, getting something that's perfect. Because I've lived in a life that has not been surrounded by the perfect. Others would say eternal life is having your sins forgiven. And that is a part of it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Others would say, well, uh, eternal life is, is, you know, just simply living forever. Never dying, never never having to to face death again no nothing beyond physical death Uh, we'd have physical death but there'd be eternal life after that and eternal life is to always live forever but i would say to you that even the even the uh, even the lost are going to experience that kind of eternal life it's forever it won't be in the glory of god it won't be in the presence of god it'll be in hell, and it'll be in a, in, a, in a place of punishment and darkness, but it'll be eternal in that nature. It never ends. But Jesus said, Here's eternal life. Here's eternal life. That they may know you, the only true and living God. That's what he says, right out of the words of Jesus, right out of the mouth of Jesus. His desire is for you to know Him. Now, to know Him, you've got to know about Him. You've got to know His attributes. You've got to know His character. You've got to know a lot of things about Him. But it goes beyond knowing about Him. It, it goes, as we were talking about this morning, that intimate relationship that comes by spending time together, spending time with Him in order to know Him. And it's, but, it's, but it's contingent upon His power at work within your life. You've got to understand that. It's contingent upon what he's talking about here, that the power that he showed, the strength of his might that he showed when he brought Christ up out of the grave, raised him from the dead, and seated him in the right hand in heavenly places, That's that's the power that is at work in every believer to bring about the purpose that we are called to be about. This is eternal life, that they may know you. True and the living God. When that is our passion, when that is our goal, when that is our desire above everything else in life, as it was with the Apostle Paul, we can take disappointments. We can take sickness. We can take debilitating conditions. We can take being hurt. We can take a multitude of things. Because it's not all about us, is it? It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not about knowing Him and worshiping Him and honoring Him and glorifying Him. So the power that raised Jesus from the dead and the power that seated Him at the right hand of the Father, according to Paul, is the same power that is at work in you and me. he's saying in the second chapter hear what he says he says first of all your condition before salvation verse two uh, verse one of chapter two makes it kind of clear very emphatically very very forthrightly and you were dead in your trespasses and sins Uh, he doesn't say you were sick it's more than being sick he doesn't say you know you need a doctor you need a You you need some self-help courses. You need somebody to counsel with you. You need somebody to encourage you. But you are are dead. And and there's nothing that can can be given to you other than life that can induce you to do anything. You know, a a dead person is dead. You can have a a dead person and and you can try to give them uh, encouragement and, and they just lay there. You can say to them, I've I prepared your favorite meal and I want to give that to you, right? I want you to come and eat it and hold it under their nose and wave it about as something they loved when they were alive and, and they will not respond. You can pinch them. You can shake them. You can say, get up. But if you don't have the power to give life, they won't move. That's why he just would... Spiritually dead people. Spiritually dead people are unable to appreciate or understand or even respond to spiritual things because they're dead. Now, they may have physical life. They may be like Adam and Eve who died when they sinned in the garden, but they still continued in their physical existence. They They didn't kill over physically dead. But they can't respond to or appreciate or even understand spiritual things. They can't even please God they might try to do things that are benevolent and they may do very benevolent things for people and 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 people might say oh what a good person he is or she is oh oh they they i've heard people say they've got to be a good christian because you know they're just they they give so much of themselves but folks giving and and doing things is not is not synonymous with being a believer a believer is being in christ and one who is not in Christ can't even please God, according to Scripture. Mary. the writer of Hebrews said, apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you're not walking by faith, if you're not living in a life that is in faith in Christ Jesus, you can't please God. You do all sorts of things, but they're not pleasing to God because they are done out of, outside of faith. Dead men... Are dead some are better looking dead men and dead women than others in this life i would suppose i guess to some degree the, the real issue is and the only difference is the extent of the decay the the depth of the decay in one's life you may have some dead people who are really nice folks you know sometimes we get we get tripped up by Satan to say, you know, we don't really need a witness to them because, boy, they're good people. Why would I need to share the gospel with my neighbor? They're, they're a good person. They water my plants for me when I'm out of town. They feed my dog when I'm gone. I mean, they're, they're just good folks. They're, they're not like a, a real sinner, you know, a murderer or an adulterer or a thief. No, they're not quite as decayed in their, in their death perhaps they look a lot better but the truth of the matter is according to Paul here in verse 1 you before Christ were dead in your trespasses and sins and and everybody who is not in Christ is dead in trespasses and sins I I think it has a lot to do with the the picture that John will paint us and as Jesus goes back to the tomb of Lazarus in in a few months when we get to chapter 11 or a few years whichever it happens to be but we uh, you know john paints that picture there of jesus walking up to the tomb and telling the people said roll the stone away and and they look at him kind of strange because lazarus has been in that grave for four days and and i always defer to king james on this particular statement because i just it's just so much more emphatic i think you know some verse some translation say oh by now he's started to decay or By now, he's started to smell. And and King James just simply says, by now, he stinketh. I mean, that's pretty emphatic. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, loved him. They loved him with a a deep love. They begged Jesus to come back and heal him, and Jesus didn't come. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. Mary and Martha could have gone in and begged him to get off that slab. He wouldn't have moved. They could have carried his favorite food in there to him. He wouldn't have moved. But when Jesus, the giver of life, walked up to the tomb door and looked in that, de- that tomb where death prevailed, he said two word, or three words. I can't count today. Lazarus, come forth. And he was dead. Came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes. Moving very slowly, but he came forth out of the grave. Because, you know, Jesus gave Lazarus the only thing he needed and that was life. Paul is saying here, if you are outside of Christ, your condition is one of death, and the only thing you need is life. He goes on to say uh, the condition before salvation is also a condition of disobedience. In verse 2, he says, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience said, you were dead, but in your death, you were, you were disobeyed. You, you couldn't do anything but disobey. You were, you were sinful at the core, and everything you did was, a disobedience to, was disobedience to God because your life was conformed to the ways of the world. Your life, your, your physical life, your mental life, your, your human life was conformed to the, to the principles of the world, and the, it was under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. Was under the, the influence of one who was working in the sons of disobedience. You were like that, Paul said. You were also corrupt, depraved, is another word used there. But in verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind. I mean, we, we, were, we were following after our lust. We were driven by our appetites. And our appetites are what determine and produce sinful actions. We, we, we just wanted what we wanted. We, we lived for ourselves. We, 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 it was all about me. And I I pursued life, Paul said. We all pursued life looking for whatever we could get out of it. We weren't concerned about spiritual things. We were dead. We were disobedient. We were depraved. We were corrupt. And finally, the last part of verse 3, he says we were hopeless. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Children of wrath. We had upon us... Hanging over our head, as it were, like a sword or a a, or a or a battle axe, the wrath of God. Because our sin was driving our life, our sin was driving everything about us. And and we were were just a, a heartbeat away, just a breath away from experiencing the ultimate wrath of God, Paul says. We were children of wrath. That's why that little word that Paul uses and that John uses is so important, propitiation, that Grace Baptist people know. In blast last from the past, when, when uh, Matthew, Matt did the thing, he said, you may be a member of Grace Baptist Church, if you know what propitiation is and how to use it in a sentence. And that's uh, That's good. Because propitiation is the turning away, the the turning away of God's wrath, the appeasement of God's wrath that Paul says is hanging over us and we are children of wrath, ready to be recipients of God's wrath because of our sin. We are hopeless. Can't do anything for ourselves. Can't change our situation. Can't change our life. Wow. If it ended there, we might as well... Pack up and go home. But thanks be to God, it doesn't. Because in verse 4, Paul says, Now, though, that you are in Christ. Let me tell you what your position is in Christ. And he starts it out with those two words that we always talk about, I believe, two of the most important words in all the Bible, But God. Here you were. You were were dead. You were dead depraved, you were disobedient, you were hopeless, you were corrupt, and you couldn't do anything about it. But God intervened. God did something. He did something that you can't do. Now, he gives a a fairly lengthy description of God here. He says, God is rich in mercy, great in love toward us, and he's loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. I mean, all of that's the, the character of God, but all of that's descriptive. You could jump from, but God, right down to made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, and it would fit grammatically but God has made us alive. He did it because of his great love. He did it because of his great mercy and compassion with which he's loved us, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And by, by, by grace you have been saved, Paul says, and you need to grasp that. You need to understand it. He says he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, we, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he said, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. In, in, chapter, in verse In verse 5, he says, but God, verse 4, verse 5 says, God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And then he says in verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ. Wow. The power that raised him from the dead, seated him in heaven, is the same power that raises us from spiritual death and and gives us spiritual life and seats us in the heavenly places. We are made alive together with Christ, Paul says. Made alive. Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. Bill, come forth, and he came forth. Todd, come forth, and he came forth and on and on and on. It's the power of God in Christ calling out to us and raising us and making us alive, raising us up. We picture that in baptism. We go through the baptismal water. That's symbolic of, of, of being raised up with Christ. We have died to self. We have been buried in a watery grave, and we are raised to newness of life. We are raised with a resurrection of life. That water doesn't do anything for you effectually. The water is symbolic. The water shows what has happened in you already. If you're dependent if somebody's depending on that water being the, the thing that affects salvation, then they are sorely going to be disappointed. The water's a picture. It, it's your first testimony. It really is your te- it, it really is your profession of faith. I know we Baptists. We've talked about this. We've made kind of walking the aisle and shaking the preacher's hand and signing a card and raising our all that. That's a profession. That's not your your profession of faith. Is when you go into the water. Because that's when you're saying to the world, "This is what's happened in my life. I have died." And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and I live by his power, by his grace, by his strength. He has raised me up. Same power that raised Jesus, same power that seated Jesus, has given me life, raised me up, and has now seated me in the heavenly places. It's as though I'm seated there with Christ right now at the throne of God. What a glorious truth. Our condition before salvation was death destruction. Our position after salvation is life, resurrection, seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. And, And after that, in verses 7 through 10, Paul talks about our purpose after salvation. So that, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should or we would walk in them. I want you to see this. Paul says, God is about using your life to praise his grace. God is about using your life to show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us, toward you in Christ Jesus. God's purpose in your life immediately, or or ultimately rather, completely throughout your life, is to exhibit his grace. He, he is he is about working out in your life a picture a story an example a reflection to whereby you go out and where you live people see you and, and and you can tell them no it's by grace it's not by works you know people say oh you know you're a good person no i'm not a good person i'm a i'm a i was a dead person i was a I was a depraved person. I was a disobedient person. I'm not a good person. I'm a redeemed person by the grace of God. It's by grace that I've been saved and made who I am. And it's His grace that's giving me power to live life, seated with Him in the heavenly places, giving me me the power to live out the life right now, in the here and now. It's His grace that I stand in. It's His grace that strengthens me. It's His grace that drives me even toward good works. It's it's not because I'm a good person. Paul says that. It's not by works. It's not a result of works. Because of a result of works, you know what we do? We would brag. We would boast. We'd say, hey, look at me. You not you know what a good Christian is? Here's one. You know what I did? I worked my way to God. I found 10 steps, 20 steps, 3 steps, however many steps. And I worked on those steps, and I lived them out, and I tried my best, and I i must have done a good job. Here I am. I'm a good person. You know, we were talking about religion this morning and, and the gospel. and of course, of course, kind of contrasting those a bit, religion, says, religion has two types of people, good people and bad people. Religion does. Religion says, oh, he's a good person, so he's okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, oh, oh, he's a bad person. Don't, don't mess with him. He, he, he drinks and smokes and chews and runs around with people at do's. Do. Uh, it didn't rhyme. I didn't do do's. You know, and, and so they're, they're bad people. We're good people. The gospel doesn't know that. The gospel knows repentant people and unrepentant people people who have been changed by the power of God, by the call of God in their life, people who have experienced the grace of God and responded to that grace by faith, by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, so you can't boast. That's why Paul at the end of the Galatian letter said, listen, may it never be, may it never, ever, ever be that I boast in anything but the cross of Christ. If you're going to brag on something, brag on Jesus. If you're going to brag about something, brag about the cross of Christ and His work in your life to change you. Don't, don't brag about how good a person you are. So His ultimate purpose for your life is to exhibit His grace, to reflect His grace, to show His grace. And, and then, this is important here, because you know a lot of times we, we, we Christians who believe in the grace of God in such a powerful way. We say, oh, it's, it's grace. There's no works involved. Baloney. He, he said, you've been saved by grace through faith. You've not been saved as a result of works. But then he says in verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship. Literally, we have been crafted by him. We have been designed by God. We have been shaped by God in Christ. Why? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared, God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Is good works a part of the Christian life? You better believe it. Can good works make you right with God? Not even in a nanosecond. It can't get you that much closer to God. Good works have nothing to do with your salvation, but your salvation has a lot to do with good works. Do you understand that? You, You don't do good works to get saved. You're saved, and then you do good works flowing out of a redeemed life. Throwing, flowing out of a grace-filled life, flowing out of a life that has been changed by the power of God's grace. But works, good works, are important in your life. As a matter of fact, good works justify you, not before God, but before men and angels. Jesse Mercer said that in his doctrinal statement, which I love. Matter of fact, I kind of borrowed part of it. It's in the summary of our doctrinal statement because I think it's important. Jesse Mercer lived, died just a couple of years before the Southern Baptist Convention was founded. I'm, I'm of the firm conviction that if Jesse had lived, he would have been elected the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention. W. B. Johnson wouldn't have been. That's all conjuncture and doesn't mean anything, but I thought I'd tell you that. But Jesse Mercer, in his eight-point doctrinal statement, had a statement in there, talked about being saved by grace through faith, not of works. And then had a statement about works, and he said this. I love the way he said it. He said, We are justified by works only in the sight of men and angels. In other words, men will know that you've been changed when they see the good works God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in and you're carrying those out and you're doing ministry and you're showing love and you're showing acts of compassion. Men will know that. Now, Men may get confused, and they may think you're just a good person. So that's why witnessing and 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 and, and being a witness in our community can never just be on the basis of good works. Because you're doing good works because of the grace of God in your life. You're doing good works because God has saved you and given you life and and prepared these works for you to do. Them. You're doing them because of him, but sometimes people just see, oh, well, he's a good person. She's a good person. No, you have to say, no, I'm not a good person. I've been saved by God's grace, and it's God's work in my life is the reason I do this. Some people say, you know, always share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's the most ludicrous statement that's ever been made. You can't share the gospel without using words. You can't just live it. Because people can't interpret what your living is properly. You live it, and you tell it. And we are prepared to walk in good works. God prepared it beforehand, before the creation, before the foundation of the world, that we who are in Christ would walk in them. So in these first 10 verses, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I want you to know here's what you were, and here's what the world is outside of Christ. Here's who you are, where you are, what your position is in Christ Jesus. You're alive, you've been made alive, you've been raised up, you're seated at the right hand, you've been given new life to know him, to know the power of his resurrection to live it, to walk it, and to carry it out. And you do have a purpose. Your purpose is to reflect and exhibit God's grace every day and to walk in the good works that He has prepared for you in obedience. And by that, share the truth of His gospel. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. So you can't boast. At least not boast in yourself. But boy, I encourage you this week to go out and boast about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. Your truth is powerful. Your grace is rich. Your grace changes our lives. Your strength and might works in us. And Lord, for that we are thankful. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. We pray that on Tuesday, Lord, as we come together, it will be a time of worship. We'll remember Oscar, but we will worship you. And Lord, there will undoubtedly be men and women here who are from the community who know Oscar and don't know you. Lord, help us to show them why Oscar was who he was. He was who he was because of your grace. Father, I pray you use that time. Draw people to yourself. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a good